0: MacCast Sunday, October twenty second, twenty twenty three. Hey, Geeks! it's time for your MacCast, the show for MacGeeks by Geeks. I'm Adam. This is the show where we discuss all things Macintosh. How you doing? Welcome back to the MacCast. Glad to be back here with you for another week of hints, tips, tricks, and all the goings-ons in the Apple and Mac community. How are you doing? Hopefully you are having a great, wonderful day. We have uh, quite a few things to get into in this episode. We're going to be uh, talking about updated Apple Pencils. Taking a look at what's next for our Max. Uh, when we can expect maybe some updates to iPads and a little bit about what those might look like. And um, that will kind of round out the news for this week. And then we're going to get into some of your questions. We have great questions for the community. going to talk a little bit about backups and iOS and iCloud. Uh, We have a comment about App Store and refunds we'll try to help a listener out with. And then a question about indexing and uh doing that without spotlight so listener needs our help there so should be a good one uh i say we just dive right in starting off with a new product yes apple announced a new product but might not have been what a lot of us were hoping for uh we did have a rumor about this I think last week where we discussed a potential update to the Apple pencil now that rumor uh, sort of alluded that there were going to be magnetically attached tips that there would be different kinds of tips for different drawing styles yeah that's not this update i don't know if that's still coming uh, maybe it is but we now have the cheapest option for the apple pencil and it is pretty interesting it does only have one tip but has A new trick up its sleeve, Uh, and that sort of is a little bit of a pun because there is a little kind of sleeve cap that slides open to reveal a USB C port, and that's pretty cool in and of itself. What's nice about this USB C port is it's kind of oriented to the side uh, rather than like on the original Apple Pencil where you have that weird lightning connector and you have to kind of stick that straight in the end of your iPad to do docking, um, you know, connecting and charging kind of the setup of it. Um, as I mentioned, this new Apple pencil is a uh, slightly cheaper at us $79. So it will be your, your cheapest option. As far as features go, it does attach magnetically to the iPad, um but that just puts the battery to or puts the apple pencil to sleep rather to preserve battery it doesn't actually offer up magnetic charging it does have low latency and tilt sensitivity and on the newer iPads with the M2 processors it supports that new hover feature but it is missing pressure sensitivity and doesn't have that cool double tap functionality so it's not like The high-end Apple Pencil, the Generation 2 Apple Pencil, um, and has some features that aren't even the same as the original Apple Pencil, although tilt sensitivity and and hover is pretty cool, and of course, that USB-C port. It will work with all iPads that do have a USB-C port, and is going to be available next month in November Apple is continuing to sell the first-gen and second-gen Apple Pencils. Those are also still on sale at U.S. $99 and $129.00. Respectively. So, this seems like a cool new option for Apple Pencil users, especially if you don't need some of those higher end features. You can save a little bit of money and still get a pretty cool pencil. And also, uh, it's nice that, again, we're sort of universally adopting USB C. We were kind of expecting that to come. Uh, Whether or not this whole you know, extra tip thing happens, I guess we'll have to wait and see. Probably something Apple still has been experimenting with and working on again, like we talked about in the last episode of the MacCast. Now let's turn and look at Macs for a bit, because that might have been the thing that we were expecting. And there seems to be a little debate on whether or not we're going to get Max this year. I think I talked about in the last show that I feel like at this point, we're so late in October. Doesn't feel like that's gonna happen. Uh what at least one analyst thinks that I could be wrong on that. But let's start out uh with sort of how Mac sales or specifically MacBook sales are looking this year. Ming Chi Kuo came out. He had a few things to say. One of them was about MacBook Pro sales. He said on a whole, he's expecting it to be around 30% lower this year compared to 2022 so that means down to about 17 million units on a whole app uh, demand is looking like it's down and Apple is revising its forecast shipments down about 20 percent for the remainder of the year that is going to have an overall impact I think on what Apple does with Max quote does say he expects no new Max this year uh in fact he did agree with an earlier rumor from Mark german that the 24-inch iMac update might not come until 2024, though he stopped short of saying which M series chip Apple might put into that system. Most bets are on the M3. There's been a few rumors discussing maybe an M2 update for the iMac. Uh, and that may come into play in a weird way here in a second, because Mark Gurman hedging his bets maybe a little bit. What We'll talk about that. Also, he said Ming-Chi Kuo said he expects Apple to release a 32-inch iMac with a mini-LED display, but that's not coming until 2025. So that one's a couple years off. We've been talking about that and having that rumored for a while now as well. Um, The hope is that uh, new M3 models in 2024 will re-excite the market and kick things back up, kind of uh, get back to some uh, Mac excitement, and we'll have to see. You know, Apple has done a great job with Apple Silicon. This is something that I think we saw with the iPhone too, right, is that the processors are so good that there tends to be less incentive or less desire, I think, for upgrades. This is just my personal opinion. You know, I think the machines are getting good enough that battery life is great. Uh, We've got USB-C, we've got great processors, we've got great performance. So, you know, you're not, needing or feeling like you need to upgrade as frequently. Also, another thing, obviously, that is factoring into this is what we discussed previously, that Apple saw a huge boom, especially for MacBook sales, MacBook Pro sales, uh, during the pandemic when people went into remote working. So they either upgraded their systems or had their office upgrade their systems, and uh, we're in that cycle where it's going to be a few years before we start seeing more upgrades. So expect that to be going on with the Mac. Now turning back to our friend Mark German, he is still holding out hope that Apple may offer up a Mac focused event this month he's a bit vague on which models would be featured though the 24 inch imac seems like a good candidate i don't know if that means again apple will do a a small bump up to an m2 and then maybe do an m3 next year it's feeling like they're going to do an imac early next year so i'm not thinking imac is going to be the model and then german kind of points out that many of the 13 inch 14 inch and 16 inch macbook pros are in short supply on Apple's website. They are delayed in shipping until mid-November, sort of alluding that maybe we could get an update there as well, but that really, to me, feels too soon. And that's why, overall, to me, the idea of some Mac updates still coming this year seems very, very unlikely. So I'm not putting a lot of stock into this, but German does think it's possible, and he's pretty good on the Pulse of what's going on in uh, in the Apple community. So, you know, I take what he says with a little bit of truth. He's hearing something. He pegs the date around Monday, October 30th or Tuesday, the 31st, which again feels like kind of odd dates but we'll have to wait and see. Maybe it comes true and Apple does announce a few things. I guess I could see a world where they announce a 24-inch iMac this year and uh, don't start shipping or selling them until early next year. That'd be a little bit of a wait and a little bit of a tease. Uh, You know, not typical Apple style, but maybe they want to kind of get people excited about what's coming who who knows? We'll we'll find out, I guess, if they do send out some invites. If they are, they'd be, I would imagine, coming this week. So last thing he said was that an iPad Air or MacBook Air update rather won't be coming until next year. And he also kind of confirmed that rumor about a 32-inch iMac saying that would happen, in his estimation, late 2024 or in 2025. So, you know, the latter date agreeing with what Ming-Chi Kuo said. Also talking about just a little bit of sluggish demand, iPhone 15 seems to be kind of slowly selling and maybe not doing as well as the iPhone 14s. This is according to Hightong International Securities Analyst Jeff Poo. He says that sales of the iPhone 15s are lower than the iPhone 14 for the same period last year. We'd also heard from Bloomberg and others that sales in China are being particularly hampered. Uh, They've got a lot of competition from Chinese smartphones and just, you know, the iPhone 15s are just not selling through as well as previous models uh for his part, Pooh claims p- the poor design of the A seventeen pro chip as being partially responsible for overheating issues uh, that we had been hearing about and Apple addressed with that software update. Uh that's interesting that he's saying that. Now the reason seems to be, or is at least alluded to, that the 3 nanometer process that Apple is using for the chip that manufacturing process that they that uh Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Corporation developed TSMC is using a process specifically developed just for Apple known as N3B and that was because TSMC's own process known as N3E was quite not quite ready yet. And so he expects Apple will use the TSMC process, the other process for a 18 processors, and that will offer higher clock speeds, lower power consumption. And I would see, su- I-, I would presume uh, better thermals than the current process that they're using. So that could be impacting iPhone sales as well. You know, they got some bad press right out of the gate. Um, but I think overall, again, I think it's just that iPhone cycle changing. As you know, I did not upgrade this year just simply by the fact that Apple really pushed all the big new features into the iPhone Pro Max which is a larger phone. I'm not really interested in a larger phone. I know a lot of people are, um, but not everybody likes a huge phone. And I'm going to personally wait till some of those features come into the Pro model. So I'm willing to wait another year. Uh, Processor performance isn't, you know, ramping as greatly. GPU stuff is nice, but, you know, I think overall, just not a lot of excitement in the iPhone. And that's what you typically see for a very, very mature product. So I don't think this is surprising to Apple. I don't think Apple is probably worried about it too much, but just something interesting to note that we're moving into this world where you know even people like myself, early adopters who are typically right on uh, new iPhones are maybe holding back a little bit more and waiting a little bit longer to get the features and uh, iPhone designs that we want. So... I don't know how you feel about this stuff. I'd love to hear your opinion. If you have an idea about, you know, why maybe Mac sales are slowing down or iPhone sales are slowing down that either is in agreement with mine or maybe you disagree with me, uh, shoot me some feedback and some comments, maccast at gmail.com. And then finally, looking at iPads, according to Mark Gurman, Apple will be launching new iPad models around March next year. He says there should be new versions of the entire lineup, including an 11th generation iPad, a 7th generation iPad mini, and a 6th generation iPad Air. Uh, iPad Pro updates are likely going to happen later in the year and could be more focused on sort of minor updates. Now, related to iPad Pro, this week we did get an odd rumor from DigiTimes that claimed that Apple would switch the iPad Pro 12.9-inch display back to an lcd with lcd backlighting getting rid of the existing version which currently offers that mini led backlighting with the zones and stuff like that they're saying it's due to the high production cost of that display Um, this would actually contradict many other rumors that we've been having for a while surrounding the ipad pro models that have been saying that Apple would be looking to move to OLED panels or OLED displays next year. So a little bit of ambiguity around what Apple's going to be doing with displays in the iPad Pro. I find it very hard to believe that they would take a step backward um, from display technology, especially in their Pro line. That doesn't make a lot of sense. Maybe this could be something that's being confused with the rumors that apple might be doing a larger ipad air and maybe that could be getting a uh, lcd display instead of the pro but we'll have to wait and see that's going to be coming later so do expect sometime probably in the spring an update to uh, the ipad lineup Another DigiTimes report is discussing future technologies that Apple might be using for iPads. They're saying that Apple has been developing a foldable iPad model. We've been hearing these rumors for many, many years now, but now DigiTimes is claiming that Apple could begin small-scale production on a foldable iPad as early as the end of 2024, alluding to the fact that maybe that model would come out toward the end of the year in 2024 or maybe in early 2025 as far as which ipad the size right now is sounding like it's going to be a smaller version maybe the ipad mini something sized Around 9 inches, although in the past we've heard rumors of Apple experimenting with displays, foldable displays, up to sizes as large as 20 inches. So I don't think we're going to get a Pad. Uh, I think this really will be focused, at least initially, if Apple even does it, uh, on a iPad mini-sized device. Uh, big focus seems to be for Apple around minimizing or even eliminating the crease issues that you have with current foldables. Um, The piece says that Apple is working on their own hinge designs, that they're going to be working with LG and Samsung on the displays, and the focus is to get rid of that visible crease. As far as the hinge system goes, it sounds like Apple's looking for something that's much simpler than the current designs. And uh, the focus on that would be able to make it, I think, more cost-effective and easier to produce, according to the piece. Um, I think foldables are an interesting thing for me, personally. Um, Every time I go into a store that has foldable devices, or if I have friends that have foldable devices, I, I look at them, and it's a great, interesting technology, but for Apple, I think it's a little bit of a harder sell because a big focus of theirs is the materials. And to me, foldables just don't feel as high end. The displays, you know, they're they're plastic, so they feel plasticly, plasticky, if that makes sense, or if that's sort of a word, and just don't feel as luxury or as high end. I think, at least when I'm holding them, that maybe do some of the to some of the other materials as well. The hinges tend to be a little bit weird, which I totally agree with, and the crease is the big thing that I have a hard time getting over. Because you know, even though when the display's on, it's less noticeable, just when it's sitting there. Uh, on your desk or something like that. That crease is just really, in my opinion, ugly. I just really don't like it. Now, I know a lot of you out there like foldables, so I'd love to hear from you. If you're excited about the idea of Apple doing a foldable, uh, what really excites you about that? Is it really about the size? Is it about what they might do with some of the extra real estate? You can do some creative things in software as well so they'd obviously have to be tweaking ios for this style of device so let me know uh, what do you think about the idea of a foldable and does it make sense for it to be an ipad first or you know we're hearing it's a nine inch device maybe it's not an ipad maybe it is an iphone but right now the rumors are saying uh, foldable ipads maybe as early as 2024 2025 one thing that won't be coming in 2024 is a new AirTags, at least according to Ming-Chi Kuo. He says Apple is planning to release those or has delayed the release of those until 2025. AirTags 2. He says the devices are going to be part of a new spatial computer computing ecosystem that Apple has been developing. Something that's going to integrate and work alongside apple's vision pro so apparently apple has kind of a bigger vision for spatial computing and the new AirTags are going to play a part in that in some way he didn't go into a lot of details about what those features would be my imagination is that air tags would be able to be attached to different things and make those have additional functionality in the uh the spatial computing world other in other words, using the ultra wideband technology to detect how close you are to those objects to allow you to see those things maybe through walls that sort of stuff, and maybe interact or add additional virtual or layered functionality on top of those objects in the augmented world, which could be very very interesting, and you could do again a lot of creative things with that um And of course, I'm sure Apple will do some amazing things with that kind of technology. So that will be very cool to see, but probably not coming until 2025. I'm guessing maybe that's to time with the release of a lower cost vision, Apple vision or Apple vision pro model, uh, Apple maybe wanting to get a bit more adoption into that spatial computing ecosystem before they start making some companion products, things like air tags but again that's just my guess on that. And then finally a little bit of interesting homepod news this week. An Apple prototype collector who goes by Katsuami Katsuami on Twitter, hopefully I'm not butchering that uh, Twitter username, showed off what apparently seems to be a HomePod Pro prototype with a large touchscreen. Um, we've been hearing about Apple maybe thinking about doing a touchscreen HomePod for a while. This looks like when you see the image of it, a first generation or second generation HomePod, but with a much larger display on top that is a touchscreen. This rumor was confirmed, or this prototype was confirmed by the folks over at Nine to Five Mac, and they say the device is codenamed B720 and is in uh, active development by Apple. Uh, they say that Apple has been working on even rewriting some of the tvOS apps so that they can work on different display formats, and hints are in the tvOS 17 code that Apple Music and Apple Podcasts would be developed, those apps would be developed for this new display format. There's also been hints that show uh, the display display able to show some notifications like phone calls, messages, those sorts of things. That latter one is interesting to me because, um, I don't know how your home pods are oriented, but you know, mine's just way over on a desk. I guess it'd be cool if you were walking up to it and maybe you want to interact with it, but I'm not so sure uh, how visual, uh, notifications or messages popping up on a display that's sort of pointed at the ceiling way across the room is really super, super helpful. Um, but you know, there, there it is. Could be very interesting. You know, I would think that more with a touchscreen HomePod, you'd want a different style of display or a different style HomePod. Something that works more like an information center in your house, more of a home hub, that sort of thing. So I would expect a different design. So it's interesting that this is the prototype that we are seeing um, and it has been rumored that Apple's been working on this for a long time so I'm sure there's many many prototypes and this is just sort of one design uh, that did end up surfacing this week but interesting nonetheless uh, i'd like to see apple push home pod again and apple tv more into that home hub style device and i think that's more interesting to me than just a home pod with a touch screen but uh, that's just my opinion again as always let me know your thoughts and opinions shoot me an email audio comment maccast at gmail.com but with that that is going to do it for the news for this week. Before we move on, I do want to take a quick moment and thank a show sponsor, and that is Simply Safe. You know, it's still October, but the holidays are coming up fast. Before your life goes into overdrive with the holidays, protect your home with Simply Safe Home Security. Right now, you can get a brand new system today for 40% off. One thing I enjoy about having a simply safe system is even just the small conveniences. A lot of you know I work from home. Uh you might not know that I have a small office in my backyard and it's often that I need to know ...when someone is arriving at my house so I can go out and actually greet them. As a matter of fact, that happened just this week. I needed repairs on a heater in my house. And just having the ability to know when the worker rolled up to the front of the house... ...is really great and convenient for me. I mean, also knowing that my home is secure and protected... That is awesome as well. And it's not just me who loves SimpliSafe. Experts love SimpliSafe as well. It was named the best home security system of 2023 by U.S. News and World Report. SimpliSafe is comprehensive protection for the whole home with advanced sensors that detect break-ins, fires, floods, and more. Plus, they have HD cameras for both inside and inside and out. It's powered by 24-7 professional monitoring that costs less than $1 a day, about half the cost of a traditional home security system. And with the new 24-7 lifeguard protection and smart alarm wireless outdoor camera, monitoring agents can see and speak to intruders, helping stop crime in real time. It's Powerful technology, exclusively from Simply Safe, and satisfaction is backed by Simply Safe's money back guarantee. You can try Simply Safe for sixty days, risk free, and if you don't love it, return your system for a full re- refund. For a limited time, save forty percent on any new system with a fast protect, sh- protect plan. Just visit simplysafe.com/maccast. That's simply safe dot com slash Maccast. There is no safe like Simply Safe. And a big thank you to Simply Safe for their support of the show. Longtime listeners to the MacCast will know that I am pretty fanatical when it comes to backup. Uh, I think backup is important. I think it is a very big deal, especially on our Macs, but really for all of our devices. And with Knowing that this week's question from Robert is a little bit difficult for me because I don't have a great answer for him, so I'm going to turn to you in the community to help me out a little bit. I'm going to do my best to answer this question, but Robert got a new iPad recently and asked me, hey, can you back up an iPad locally? To a USB C drive. So you can connect a USB C drive to your iPad. You can use it to access the drive, write files to the drive using the files app. Um, but is there an app or a way to actually do a backup on that? You know, it'd be great to be able to do carbon copy cloner for iPad. That would be. F- awesome. And I think this is one of the limitations of iPads is there's just not a lot of good options for backing up the entire device. In fact, in as far as I know, there really is only one way to do it without having a Mac. Let me caveat that. We're talking about here what happens if your iPad is your only device and that's the thing that you need to back up and you don't have a Mac. Well, As mentioned, you can connect a USB-C drive, and you can use the Files app um, to manually transfer data over to it. There's kind of no pure syncing feature in the Files app. So you can manually copy files to an external drive. You can read and write files. So you could do it that way, but that's not really backup. And it doesn't backup things like your apps or your settings. It's just the data and data files that are on your Mac. So that really isn't an option. So that leaves you with really needing a Mac. If you want to create a local backup of your iPad or your iPhone, you need to use a Mac. Uh, the, the historic way to do it is you connect the device to your Mac, either through Wi-Fi or through a physical cable. You go into the Finder, you select that device, and you can pull a backup. You can even encrypt it, and if you encrypt the backup, it will backup up things like your health data and your settings and your passwords, Wi-Fi passwords, and all that sort of stuff. So that's a great thing to do. It's actually something I even do manually right before I do an OS upgrade. Uh, I know that I already have my iCloud backup, but I like just having one locally that I know I could potentially restore from if something goes wrong. And so that's a great way to do a backup locally. Another great way to do a backup locally that gives you a lot more control and a lot more flexibility is to use a third-party app like iMazing. And we've talked about iMazing in the past. What's great about iMazing is you can backup locally to your Mac, but you can also set different destinations for your backup so you could back up to an externally connected hard drive one that's connected to your mac not directly to your device so don't want to confuse people there you could also uh, connect to or back up to a network attached storage device if you have that on your network but again this is all going through your Macintosh. And another nice thing about iMazing is you can actually do versioning of your backups and your files, sort of like time machine. So you can go back to different dates and points in time, and you can pull different backups, you can automate that stuff. So it's got a lot of flexibility. But again, everything is still going through a centralized Mac. Now, I have seen apps in the App Store. And, uh, you know, we have devices like uh, USB-C, thumb drives and things like that from companies like SanDisk that come with companion apps that say they do backup. um, But really, it only backs up typically specific kinds of data like photos contacts um some of them do documents and files and stuff like that um but i don't again see those as true like full backup solutions um they can kind of get you through and there's a lot of them out there so it can be really confusing and this was one of robert's questions was i see all these apps on the app store but is there really one that works really, really well. I think there's also syncing apps. Like I think there's an app called SugarSync, or you can get, you know, syncing for things like Synology. But again, those rely on just doing Wi-Fi and syncing sort of things. So I guess sort of like iCloud backups, but again, not really full backups. So at this point, I really feel like iCloud backup is really your best and probably only option for doing a full backup without connecting your device directly to your mac unfortunately robert i mean that's where i'm at with this unless someone in the community has a big creative or uh, unknown app that i am unaware of and uh, that's where i turn to you do you have something are you doing something to backup ipads without icloud and without a Mac. And if you are, what are you using for that? Share that with us. Send us your emails, your audio comments to maccast at gmail dot com. Next up, uh, I have a comment from Scott who recently ran into some issues with a game and in-app purchases, and Apple support and refunds related to that, and here's what uh, Scott had to say: "Good
1: day, Adam. It's Scott from Sydney, Australia. Here, a long time listener to the MacCast, and I really love your podcast and appreciate all that you do for the Mac community." I wanted to bring to your attention and to the listeners' attention to see if anybody else has experienced a similar issue from Apple concerning in-app purchases. I purchased an in-app purchase for a game in the App Store and I went through the refund uh, request process. That was fine. I got my refund Then I lost all my progress in the game and I emailed the developer of the game who pretty much gave me a free code to give me back what I had had, a millionaire pack for the actual game of Fruit Pot 2. So I went to the app store, clicked on my account, clicked on redeem, put in the code and it said that I had redeemed the code and it took me into the game and that's where nothing else happened. So I just assumed... That if I go back to where I purchased the in-app purchase from, meaning the Millionaire Pack, instead of the App Store redeeming that particular free code that the developer had given me, the Pack is in my account, it billed me for the Pack, $79 Australian. So to make a long story short, I reached out to Apple Support. They really couldn't do much for me. They transferred me through to Media Services who then transferred me through to a senior advisor. I explained the fact that the system did not let me redeem the free millionaire pack that I had used the developer's code for, and I exhausted the refund dispute process. The senior advisor said, we can't do anything for you. All I can do is file a complaint with Apple corporate, which is what they've done now. I'm wondering if any of your listeners have been through a process of this nature where you get a free code from a developer, you go to redeem the code, the app store accepts the code, but the app does nothing with it. And then you think that if you go back through the process of purchasing that same pack, you will billed accidentally for it where you should not have been billed. So there's pretty much Apple to there's nothing more they can do for me. Disappointed and I'm upset And wanted to bring this to the attention of your listeners, so no one else goes through the same thing that I have been through. Keep up the good work,
0: Adam. Thank you. Hey, Scott. Yeah, unfortunately, I have heard of experiences like this before. And usually going through escalation, it gets worked out. So I'm not sure what happened in your case here. Usually they can kind of take care of you. I don't know if later the complaints people will come back and sort of make things right for you. Um, you know, the first tier support reps generally don't have a lot of power to override existing policies, but you mentioned that you already got escalated up and that the senior advisor uh, wouldn't help you out. Sometimes I've also had situations where Apple can't refund me, but they give me credit, at least in the Apple store, for The value of basically what I was out. So it's surprising they didn't offer something like that, you know, maybe give you an $80 iTunes store credit that you could then use, you know, additionally later down the road to buy additional purchases and stuff like that. Sometimes they can't do a full cash refund or money back to your card or something like that. I I don't know all of the situations that are around that. But unfortunately, I've heard this is not uh, super unusual. Hopefully it doesn't happen to a lot of people, um, but I think what this comes down to is more of an issue in apple's process for redeeming codes specifically around in app purchases. I think because it becomes very confusing and people don't really know what to do so the situ- like the situation you were in you received a code from a developer to redeem that code, you go to the app store. But that doesn't actually do anything. It doesn't give you a, a, a download of a new app. I mean, if it if it was just the developer giving you a code for the app, that makes sense because you redeem the code and then the app downloads and it gets onto your device. But with in-app purchases, it's a little bit more confusing because you don't redeem that code inside the app itself to get that in-app purchase back you actually have to log into your uh, store account, redeem the code, and then like you said, nothing really happens. And if you go and launch the app, nothing typically happens as well. It doesn't like automatically add that content back into the app because what you have to do typically is go into that app's settings or that game's settings and find the Restore Purchases button. And when you hit restore purchases, then the app makes the call back out to the app store to see what th- what in-app purchase content you've actually paid for and then redownloads that and puts that back into your account. And I think that's a very confusing process. A lot of people don't recognize that you need to do that. As a matter of fact, this is the same process you'd have to go through if you un- uninstalled an app and reinstalled an app and needed to get that content back. Or if you download that app onto another device or a new device, you have to use that restore purchases option to get your paid content back. And that is even for things like oftentimes subscription apps, those sorts of things that have additional paid for features that you get for the app. So again, the whole process, very, very confusing. Um, It's nice to know that the automated refunds process worked the first time. But yeah, I think for security reasons, they have this thing where uh, they try to avoid abuse, where someone buys something, goes through the standard refund process, gets refunded. There's not a lot of obstacles to that. But what's going on here is you you got your credit, you got your in-app purchase, and now you're looking for a second refund. And that starts to look a little bit suspicious. And they kind of put, you know, more barriers in place for dealing with that. Again, a little bit frustrating to hear that, you know, they haven't taken care of yet. Hopefully, uh, since you sent this email, Apple has resolved it for you. If they have, let me know. If they still haven't, Uh, let me know as well. I'd be curious to know where you're at with this and where you're with this this sort of senior support advisor and the complaint and stuff like that. And anybody else who's had experiences like this, especially anybody who's been able to go through something like Scott's going through and received or got a resolution, if you know the steps to go through to get that, share those with us, mattcast.gmail.com, and we can share those with the community on a future episode. Last thing that I have for you is an interesting question from Brian relating to indexing search and external hard drives. Uh, Brian was asking about indexing apps for external hard drives. I'm assuming, Brian, um, I, I emailed you back, but I hadn't heard a response yet. I'm assuming this is for archive drives, drives that uh you connect to your Mac, you maybe archive a bunch of content on, or maybe you have an old drive that you are sunsetting. Um, but you want to be able to still search and know what's on those drives and maybe go back and find them, uh, to reconnect them. So maybe you have some archive files. You don't need those necessarily stored locally or connected locally all the time. You just want to put them off on a shelf, but you still want to be able to search for things to know, oh, okay, in drive, you know, the drive named XYZ, I have file ABC, um, And Spotlight, of course, built into your Mac is going to index your your drives, including external drives, and it does a pretty nice job of that. It's built in, it's great, but it's not going to return results when you're doing Spotlight searches from indexed drives or Spotlight indexes for drives that are not directly connected or currently connected and mounted On your Mac. So, what we're really looking for here is some sort of index that you can create of locable, you know, that that is local and searchable, but probably not Spotlight. And I did some poking around. It seems like back in the day, Extensis used to have this kind of product for media files. I think they still do, um, but it's typically for like large networks, corporate networks, like asset management systems and stuff like that. We have those where we'll like index it, put that index in a central location, and then you can like search that index and find files on different servers and different places, even show you previews and kind of cool stuff like that. It feels like that's the kind of app we're looking for, but something that is going to work locally on your Mac. So I did some poking around. I don't know a lot about this software, but it looks like it might do what you're looking for. It's an app called Fox Search, and I'll have a link to that in the show notes at maccast.com. Uh, it is, there's there seems to be like a single user license that seems relatively affordable, around $35 US. It creates a single index of both internal and external drives. I'm assuming that it'll allow you to search those externally, although I couldn't find exact, in, you know, or when they're disconnected, I couldn't find exact information related to that, but it will create that index for you. Um, and the higher-level professional version has some additional features, including the ability to create different indexes or multiple indexes. Um, You might need that version. That price does jump up quite a bit to $120 US, so it could get a little bit pricey depending upon the features that you need, but it does look very interesting. Um, So you might take a look at that one. The only other thing that I was able to find was other apps that offer local searching either through Spotlight that's, you know, not Spotlight search or via a a non-indexed search. And those might be helpful as well, although I don't think in your particular situation, but I did want to bring them up just for the community because they are alternatives to Spotlight. And I know oftentimes people are looking for Spotlight alternatives. Not everybody is a huge Spotlight fan. I think it works pretty well. But there is a spot um, which is Spotlight-based, I believe, and offers some different functionality from Spotlight. So if you're not happy with Spotlight search on your Mac, you might try Who to spot And again, I will have links to all of these in the show notes at maccast.com. Um, the other one that is not an indexed search uh, is from the makers of DevonThink, which is a really cool application. Um, but they have a freeware app called EasyFind. Um, so if you're looking for an alternative search on the Mac, you might also check out Uh, easy find. And again, links to all of those will be in the show notes at maccast.com. But again, once again, I'm going to turn to you in the community to maybe offer up some recommendations for Brian in terms of an indexing app for external drives, indexing and search app for external drives. Again, I, I think the application here is creating archive drives that you can then search when they're not connected to your Mac. So if you know of a tool like that, If you're using something like that and have a recommendation for us, send your emails and audio comments to MacCast at gmail.com, and we will share those on a future episode of the show. But with that, that is going to do it for this week. Uh, Before I leave you, I do want to take a quick moment and thank a couple of show supporters. Bandwidth for the MacCast is provided by Cashfly. You can find them at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com. And all advertising on the MacCast is handled by Backbeat Media. They are at backbeatmedia.com. As always, I love hearing from you. If you have a comment, a question, something you'd like to hear covered on a future episode of the MacCast, you can send your emails and audio comments to maccast at gmail.com. Also send all those recommendations and uh, you know follow-ups for this show. I really appreciate that. If you need show notes, links to anything that I talked about on this or any other episode of the MacCast, you will find those on the website. That's at maccast.com. And finally, if you want to follow me on social media, you can find me on Twitter, X uh twitter.com slash maccast you can check out the maccast facebook page over at facebook.com slash the maccast or find me on instagram just maccast on instagram but that will do it for now until next time i will talk to you all again real soon